we have been walking through the season of Lent, a season of preparation to get ourselves ready for Easter, ready through prayer, through scripture, through, through music, as we reflect on this path. And so we've been walking through wilderness stories, and today we have a story of a prophet fleeing into the wilderness. And so I want to read for you our text, which comes from First Kings chapter 19. And it's a, a little bit of, of length to the story, but I think that this is a, uh, a beautiful story and one that's going to speak to us today. Ahab told Jezebel about all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of the ones, uh, like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Saying, you just took out my prophets by my life by this time tomorrow. Uh, you're going to be like them. You're going to die. And so Elijah was afraid. He got up, he fled for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. And so he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. And he asked that he might die. Here's Elijah. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. And so then Elijah laid down under the broom tree and he fell asleep. And suddenly an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked. And there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. And so he got up, he ate, he drank, and then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And at that place he came to a cave and he spent the night there. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I've been zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. And they're seeking my life to take it away. And the word of the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in that wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. And after the fire, sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and there a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. You shall anoint Elisha, son of Jephat, of Abel-Mahalah, of as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael 
Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. I find that uh, even for those of us, maybe if you grew up around Scripture, if you've grown up around the Bible and you know some of the stories, you're like, I remember something about wind, and I remember something about silence. We often don't remember context. We often don't remember what's going on, the motivations. And so maybe if you've heard this story before, maybe this is a nice refreshing breeze to think about the whole context of the story. And, and if you're new to this story, welcome to it. I think there's a lot of life in this story. Because uh, the desire, the basic desire of Elijah and the story, I think is super relatable. Elijah just wants to find a community of God who want to live faithfully for God. And I think the chances are, if you're here worshiping today, you've at least had that feeling once, perhaps. You say, I, I just want to go somewhere where people want to live like God invites us to live. I want to see what life looks like. I want to see what love looks like. I want to see what hope looks like. Not where we just talk about it, but it's lived. It's a part of our life because it's going to change us. But wouldn't it just be great just to feel that lived out? And Elijah's been longing for that. Israel keeps wanting to follow after other gods. He's just like, why can't we just live like God invites us? It, It would be so much better than this. And maybe you've felt that way. You've wanted to just see what it would look like for a community to live differently than the way the world works, where hate doesn't rule, where, where greed doesn't rule, where, where people can live a different way. And so maybe you've just gone to, to churches, you've visited churches, you've walked into places and you say, I just hope I can find a community who wants to follow God here. Maybe you've stepped into that and, and it's not just about you know attending at church, but maybe you've try to go into like a small group, a, a Bible study, a, a Sunday school class. You try to go to a group where like, what is it if we were to, to learn together, to pray together, to grow together? Maybe our lives would be different. Maybe it might change me, but it also might change the world, that this community could be different, the city, my family, everything could be different. Maybe you've launched a mission, you've, you've done service projects, you've, you've gone to help people, because you, you think, what if this world looked different? And there's that longing that maybe if we just followed after God, and if I could get somebody else to do that with me, if I could find just a community, a a friendship group, a church, a neighborhood, what if we all just lived like God invited us to live? What would that look like? And so we we try, right? Uh, One of the things that I love about our community, you know, these last five, six months, it's been great that we've added that on Wednesday nights it feels so special because it's an opportunity where we say, what if the world looked a little bit more like what God wants it to look like? Where you walk in, and, and yeah, it's food, but it's not just food. It's You walk in and you want people to know that they have dignity, that they're loved, that there's possibility, that new friendships can be made, new relationships, that, that in a world that gets so divided, people can actually come together. And, and it's just looking for the beauty of what would it be if we just could do this together well. And so you think about it in your own context, I'm sure there's ways in which you've tried to figure out how do I live this out? How do I create more moments where the community lives rightfully for God? And sometimes those places are messy. And uh, I was struck by a video I saw this week. If you want to 
a one recommendation of some video to go watch today, if you go on YouTube, uh, go Google uh, Andy Stanley at the Georgia House of Representatives. Now, um, everybody I quote, there's things I like about them, there's things that I, I, I might quibble with, but, but Andy Stanley, he's a pastor in a church in Atlanta, and he got invited to be the chaplain of the day for the Georgia House of Representatives. And it's kind of funny, the whole context of this, because he walks up there, and it's kind of silent, and they have like a rule that you're not supposed to clap. <laughs> and it's just a weird environment to be in. And it's a weird environment to be in where you're saying, hey, I know this isn't a house of God. I'm used to preaching in a church environment. I know I'm in a different context. I'm going to talk to some political leaders, but I want them to see the hope of what it would be like to live in a different kind of way. What would it be to lead in a different kind of way? And it, it's really powerful because uh, he talks to them about how what brings people together in his state or what would bring people together in our state is a love for your community. Like, Don't we all want our places to be amazing? Don't we want them to be wonderful? And that brings us together. But there are also forces that make it hard to do that, that, that pull us apart. And so he had a really convicting message to them that uh, good leadership does not require an enemy. That it's pretty poor leadership anytime that you need to push off against somebody else or someone else to be able to lead people. And we all know what it's lived like in family dynamics and school dynamics and work dynamics. If you have to put somebody else down, if you have to push somebody else away, to make your points, you know, that, that, it doesn't ever lead us into a unified, better tomorrow. And so he just, his message to the people there is like, I know you're incentivized to always talk like you're losing, because if you think, if you say we're losing, we're losing, we're losing, people will vote more, people will give you more money. If you say they're just out to get you, people are going to, again, vote more, get you more money. He's like, I just want to invite you to what Jesus said is like, hey, you can have people who treat you like enemies, but you don't have to reciprocate it. You don't have to treat people like enemies back. And what would it be like if we could just live that way as leaders? Not to play games that figure out how to help us, but just for the betterment of everybody. What if the world lived like Jesus invited us to live? And it's challenging because there's things that get in the way. There's roadblocks. There's obstacles. You know, there's, well, what does our finances look like? Right? And so what's the right cost efficiency? What's the right return on investment? And so maybe think about our Wednesday nights. We're pouring into the community. We want this to be a place that feels generous. But it's really easy to get slipped into of like, you know, the best menu is the one that costs the least amount of money. Right, like figuring out the very cheapest way we could do it, right? Where it's like, let, let's let money figure out how to make decisions of like, what keeps our energy efficiencies down, what keeps the menu price down. You know, like, it's very easy to slip into what would money tell me to do? Uh, it's really easy to slip into uh, what's the most effective way to get myself power. Think about with the political situations of I want power, I want the reputation, I want to get voted on. And you start caring about that more than you care about just what's going to be better for everybody. And so you start making decisions out of that front. But it's really easy to start getting stuck into, what if I followed after some other idol other than God? In Israel's day, it's about Baal, another God that says, hey, if you follow me, you'll get the harvest that you want, you'll get the plants, you'll get the, 
the livestock, you'll, you'll get your money, you'll get your food. And so we start settling for less than God because it's tempting. It's easy. But it's not even just us. There might be someone in the room, there might be some other person that, that they go that direction. And now you're stuck with, well, how do we do this in the messy place? How do I get people to, to, to really commit to what God might offer? And so what happens when we feel the frustrations where maybe you've entered into a, a small group, maybe you've entered into a mission, maybe you've entered into a church, you've entered into a situation where you thought, I'm going to follow God fully, and then you face the pushback of something that doesn't feel like God, it's easy to start feeling defeated. It's easy to start giving up. It's easy to start feeling like I'm alone. Nobody else sees it. Is there anybody else out here? It's easy to start just fleeing. I'm giving up. I'm, I'm walking away from it. And it's easy, like Elijah does in the story, to say, like, what's the point of even living? You go down the path of, of depression towards, you know, nobody else gets me. Nobody else sees this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do anything anymore. And so in our story, it's quite fascinating where we see Elijah. Because Elijah is not like somebody that seems like a weak character in the story. Sometimes we have this feeling that the only people who would flee, who would, who would just want to give up, that it's weakness or something like that. Elijah is not a weak person. I've got an uh, icon from Mount Carmel, one of my trip to Israel. One of my few things that I wanted just to take was there was this icon of Elijah with a fiery sword over these prophets of Baal on the ground. And it was just like, it was just so striking that I was like, I got to get that. Um, for some reason, my wife doesn't want to put it on the wall, but, uh, but I have it. <laughs> and the images that we love talking about with Elijah is, man, wasn't he just brave? Man, he had a contest with the prophets of Baal. He went up on a mountain and he said, um, they, were, they were frustrated because there wasn't any rain. And so they want to say, all right, whose God is God? And so it's like, all right, we'll both sacrifice a bull. We'll see which God just brings fire down on the sacrifice. And Elijah decides, I'm going to throw a bunch of water all over it. Like, that's a brave person. <laughs> that's a faithful person. That's someone who's like, I know that I can actually mess this up. God's still going to do it. And that's the person who is left fleeing for his life in the story. Who's left thinking, I'm alone. Nobody is with me. What can I do? I'm giving up. I want to stop. That could happen to any of us. Right, we could all be on that path. And so in this story, uh, Jezebel sends out that message saying, you've got 24 hours, which feels like a good movie plot. You can do the ticking time bomb, right? It's a story device that gets the tension going. All right, you've got 24 hours, and then you're dead, or I'm going to die, because we're coming after you. 24 hours. So what does Elijah do? He spends 24 hours running. He uses all of it. 24 hours, he just goes directly south, leaves the kingdom of Israel. Israel and Judah are separate, kind of neighboring kingdoms at this point. He goes south, he goes through Judah, all the way out the other side, and he gets to the wilderness. And sometimes when we read stories, we just take for granted the actions of characters, but like, he could have done anything else. Like the guy that threw water on the, the sacrifice could have said, I'm walking up to the kingdom. I'm going to show up. Maybe God's going to do something else. He could have went to, 
to other leaders. He could have went anywhere else, but he just fled for 24 hours. And the natural response of fleeing for 24 hours is he is exhausted. (laughs) He gets to a spot, he finds himself a tree, and he lays down, and he's ready to give up. The text says, he went that day's journey into the wilderness. He came, sat down under that solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. You know, we're used to, maybe if you grew up around the the church, you're used to that kind of language seeming more like Jonah, of being told, hey, go preach to your enemies, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to see them repent. He doesn't want to see them change. And so he just goes the opposite direction. And when God makes him stop, Jonah would rather die. He jumps out of the boat into the water. Why? Because he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He just wants to die. God, leave me alone. I don't want to do it. And Elijah, he's fleeing for his life. He comes to a spot and he says, hey, God, just take me. I can't do this. I'm alone. I I can't do it anymore. And so in an isolated place in the middle of a wilderness where he's trying to avoid people, God does not leave Elijah alone. And that's good news, but also sometimes we feel like it's really frustrating because you're just like, I just want to be done. And Elijah's going to get three visits. He's got an angel that comes to him. And the angel shows up to him in the the middle of the night. He's sleeping. And the angel says, get up and eat. And he sees there's a dinner prepared. That's pretty nice. Unless you're ready to give up. But some some of us might be like, man, it would be great to wake up and someone has made me a nice breakfast, you know. Um, But when you're ready to give up, you know, like, you you know, and you've seen people in their health when when you just... He's like, ah, they're not eating anymore. There's just that part of us that says, I don't want anything else. I can't, I'm done. But the angel has food left out and says, get up, eat. So fine, Elijah eats his food, goes back to sleep. Not much energy to go do anything. Angel, tap, tap, tap. Hey, get up, eat. There's more food. Get up, eat. And I love what the, the follow-up line is on that. It says, get up, eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. There's more for you to do, and you're going to need your strength. All right, we're not done with you. Take some food. Let's go. So Elijah eats the food, and I don't know if this is some, what kind of special food this is, but this food gives him energy for 40 days and 40 nights. That's really good for us, because think about Lent. Uh, we think about 40 days and 40 nights of, of fasting and preparing for Easter. Uh, it might remind you of Moses on the mountain, which the story is doing a lot of echoes of that he goes up to hear the commandments of God, and he's got this 40 days and 40 nights. And we'll get to talking later in Lent about Jesus spending 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. But this this meal gives him the energy to keep going. And so he keeps going. And eventually he gets met by the word of the Lord. The text goes on. It doesn't care to give us much more about what that means. Maybe it's an angel. Maybe it's a prophet, because sometimes you hear about the prophets giving the word of the Lord. Uh, maybe it's Jesus. A lot of people talking. Well, maybe the Christ. You know, the Word of the Lord became flesh. You know, somebody on behalf of God comes to Elijah and asks a question: What are you doing here, Elijah? There's so many ways to ask this question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And Elijah has a scripted message, which makes me feel like, I wonder how many times he's saying in this in his head. Because he's going to tell the story exactly the same way now as he will in his next encounter. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he goes on to say, I have been very zealous for the Lord. Anybody feel like, I deserve a little bit of a better situation than right now? I've been faithful. I've tried. I've done everything I could. And what on earth is up with my circumstances? What did you expect more from me? I've done everything. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Because you want to contrast it, because I've been zealous, and yet the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. Why am I in this position? (laughs) I've been the zealous one. I've been faithful. And what is going on? I alone am left, and they're seeking my life to take it away. He's in that spot where he feels like it's him versus the world. There's nobody else around. There's no support. I am the only one who's tried to be faithful. What is going on? (laughs) And the angel's response is just pointing to God. God's going to be over there. Why don't you just go over there? That's really good advice. When you're unsure, when you're frustrated, you could be angry, you could be frustrated with God, you could feel like you're giving up. Just say, hey, go over there to God. God's big enough, God can handle this conversation. So Elijah keeps going, and God comes to to Elijah, and God also uh, has some questions for Elijah, but But Elijah has to figure out where God is in this. And so first we get this great wind, and all the mountains are falling apart, rocks are falling apart. You get this dangerous feeling. I don't know if you saw that truck spinning around with that tornado online the other day. But the wind is is swirling, and, and yet God's not in that. And next thing you know, the earthquake, even the foundation underneath you is shaking. God wasn't there. Then there's fire, maybe it's lightning, whatever it is. But there's this fire, and God wasn't there. And then something mysterious is where God is. It says in our NRSV translation, sheer silence. Uh, in other translations, you get things like uh, the, the gentle whisper, the still small voice. Uh, it's this quietness. In the midst of, there's all this chaos, but it's not God in that. And I think sometimes hearing God in silence when you felt alone is actually quite impressive. Because you kind of want the energy of like, I want people around me, I want something. But it's when it got still and quiet that Elijah does hear God and God reiterates the same question that the word of the Lord had said already. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah does his script again, right? I have been very zealous the Israelites, though, they've torn down the altars. They've, they've killed the prophets. I'm alone, and they want to kill me. And God's response to that, God's response to when we feel defeated, when we feel like we were going to flee, we're going to get out, we're, going to, we're just going to give up, is, I think, quite beautiful. The very quick first response, go return. That might not be what Elijah wanted to hear. When you're having difficulty and you're like, hey, go back into it. You've been, you've been struggling through something. You've been working for something. And God said, you're not done with it yet. 
Go return to it. And you've been going for 40 days, for 40 nights, you, you, you've been fleeing, go back to where you came from. Uh, he's not going to dismiss what he's feeling, but he's saying the work for you is not done yet. You've still got more ahead. Go return and you shall anoint. I think there's something really beautiful in the fact that Elijah is convinced that he's alone, even though he keeps getting pestered. He can't actually even be alone in the wilderness. His sleep's getting disturbed by angels. The voice of the Lord's coming. You've got earthquakes and stuff, and then God's presence is here. He thinks he's alone, and yet he's not very alone in the story. And God's advice to if you feel alone, go talk to somebody. Hey, go anoint. And he's got some different people. Hazael as king over Aram or Syria. Go anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Go anoint Elisha. If you feel like you're alone, instead of the self-pity, instead of disappearing, there's some people that you can reach out to. And those people are going to be leaders. They're going to have their own people. You think you're alone, go get involved, go get active, go talk to somebody, go invest in somebody. Because that's the other thing. You feel alone, you start wanting people to coddle you. Like, I want to find someone so they'll comfort me. But it's like, hey, just go find somebody you can empower. Go find somebody you can speak into their life, you can support them, you can develop them. And, and that becomes a place where you realize you're not alone. That there's other people. Uh, and it's so hard when we're so self-focused on our own loneliness uh, because we get so invested in that. And it's hard for anybody else to be that invested in our own loneliness as opposed to just go build the community. Go build the community that you want. Go build the community that you need. And I do want to point out that this story does not say go to Jezebel and Ahab. Uh, because I think that's kind of anybody's like, feeling like the fear of like, oh no, God's going to say that the person I should go talk to is just the person who wants to kill me. Uh, and actually God's kind of building an alliance in this story the king of this other country, the king that will take over Israel, the prophet who will succeed you. God's building people that are not in support of the way that Ahab and Jezebel have been leading. And so it's not simply just, I know that this person wants your life, but just go act like it's okay and go, go just do community with them. Uh, but empowered to go find a new community, one that might live differently. And, and God concludes with, again, Again, you're kind of wrong. You think you're alone. But you know, even if I whittle down those who have betrayed me, I'm still going to be left with 7,000 people in Israel who have not betrayed me. And so as much as you feel like you're alone, nobody's on your side, there's actually a lot of people. You just don't notice them. You don't see them. You're not interacting with them. And so trust me, get back into the mission. I'm not done with you yet. And if you're feeling like maybe I'm close to the edge of being done, maybe you should invest in who's your successor. Go find your Elisha. Go find somebody who will carry the torch on when you're actually fully done and can't do anymore. But for right now, go build that community by anointing them, by continuing on in this mission. And so you might be here today. Maybe you felt exhausted. Maybe you felt like, I've been zealous. I've been faithful. I've been loyal. And yet, where are the results in all of this? I could use something. 
And maybe today might just be a day where you feel God provide you some food, some spiritual meal that says, hey, get up, eat. You're going to need this energy. You're going to need this for your journey. Uh, we still got a long ways to go, and you just need a little bit of that power to keep going. And so maybe in prayer you might just visualize and think about whatever it is for God to offer you something. And maybe if you've got a favorite meal, the thing that helps you feel like you've got energy, or like just imagine God putting that plate down in front of you and say, I actually can do this. I can get up, I can keep going. Maybe you've been on that journey. Maybe you're like, okay, I, I wanted to give up, but I've kept going. And maybe you need to hear the, the voice of the Lord that asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? The question of why, because sometimes when we're exhausted, we've given up on our why. We haven't thought about it. And you need to be reminded there's a value, there's a purpose, there's a meaning to this thing, this thing that I've done for a while and now it's, it felt like it lost its meaning, but I need to be reminded and so maybe you can figure out, how do I articulate, why am I here? And so when you, you were praying, maybe you, you think and you say, what are you doing here, Kat? What are you doing here, Kenyon? What are you doing here, Scott? You know, like, that God is asking you, why? Why are you here? Because that helps you get that energy to have the courage to keep going when it gets tough. Because you know why, why it matters. And so if you're on the journey, if you're thinking about why, the next invitation is, is to figure out who's at least three people you can invest in, that you can pour into and say, I, I want to support them, I want to lift them up, because I know that I know what it feels like to be alone. Maybe they know what it feels like to be alone. And I want to empower them, I want to give them strength for their journey, because I can see that they have significance, I can see what God might do with them, and I want to empower them, and in the midst of that, I'm going to realize I'm not alone either. And so if you want to know the way to help build your energy, your excitement for whatever mission, whatever purpose God has given you, go bring other people into the community. Go bring people into that same mission. Go invite them to take that mission in new directions. And I love that it's just the three people in the story that seems doable, right? That seems like a, a, an achievable goal. And so I think it's worthwhile to ask yourself, say, who are the three people in my life that I'm trying to invest in, empower, see them blossom into whatever calling God has for them? Because if each of us have our own three people and we instill in them, what is it for you to find your three people? God multiplies that community, and what feels small, what feels empty, can be, feel full and, and uplifting and exciting and joyous. But it starts with us actually getting up and doing that. Say, hey God, why am I all alone? Go talk to somebody. And so I love that God answers Elijah. If you felt frustrated, empty, alone, you can yell that out to God. You can pray about that. You can say, God, I just feel empty. And, and God has the ability to withstand those things. You know, the rocks are crumbling in front of him, and we're worried that God's ego is too, too fragile for us to be real and to be honest. But just go to God. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get up. We'll find some food. We'll find the energy, the strength for the journey. 
And we'll never be alone because we know that God is always with us. And as much as we sometimes feel like maybe we're the only one on that journey, there are people around us that God is also moving in. When we get out of our shell and we go and be on that mission together. So I hope that uh, as we close that, that you feel God's presence here today. I hope you feel God's energy. You feel God's strength for whatever purpose God has for you. Because God has a purpose for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for when your voice is, is strong and powerful and shaking. And we thank you when your voice is quiet and peaceful. Lord, I ask that you would help us to have the right ears, the right, the right eyes, the right spirit, the right hearts, so that we might hear when you speak to us. We might receive it. Lord, I thank you that you hear us when we voice our frustrations. You, you hear us when we voice that we don't have enough. We feel like we can't go further. And I thank you that even when we give up on ourselves, that you never give up on us. Lord, I ask that you might give us strength today for whoever feels depleted, whoever feels the difficulty just to, to move, to get up. You might just give us health for the day. Lord, I ask that you would give us mental clarity. And even when there's not that thing, Lord, Lord, I ask for all who care for others, who support others, that you might help us to have a sense of your purpose when it's not easy, when the road is difficult. Lord, help us to know our purpose on your mission. Give us that strength. Lord, I ask today that you'd give each of us courage because your invitation is super easy. Go talk to some people. Go encourage some people. Go find three people. But Lord, there's something in our spirits that likes status quo, that likes to, to remain at rest. But I invite each of our hearts, our spirits, to come running to you and to share that with others, to let our voices praise you, celebrate you. Lord, let us build up the relationships with those around us that, that guide people to you. Lord, we ask that you might make a way in, in each of our hearts, each of our lives, and in this community. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.